you, um, Emmett, or was it Hans, Richard? Who was I was it? about to. I think Hans had been speaking. I don't know if he had completed. About okay. the plain cash. That was the topic or something. Yeah. Okay, got it. Um, all right, we're live again because apparently uh, we're being hacked by everyone else that's competing with this time slot and Jerome Powell himself, I'm sure. Uh, he, he, it took us down. Uh, do confirm that and we can Putin. hear us okay. What's that? And Putin, of course. Of Putin, yeah, everybody, too. Like, we're just, we're getting targeted so hard, y'all. So confirm that you can hear us okay, that you can see us okay uh, in the stream. We're back. Yeah, I don't know what happened, guys. We were, uh, we were talking, and then I saw the comments come through, and uh, I'm not really sure what happened. Uh, so apologies for that, everybody. Uh, I hope it, it wasn't a huge inconvenience, but we are back now. And I'm just checking my settings to make sure that uh, we haven't run into any issues um, from my and side. Thanks as far to as the community for, for letting us know. That yeah, really appreciate you guys for giving us a heads up <laughs> oh. there. Um, cool. All right, I think we're back. So um, whoever was, uh, I think Richard, did you want to, you said you wanted, you had, you knew what, where we were and you wanted to move it forward? Yeah, I thought Hans was speaking, but if, if no, okay, then I'll, I'll no. go for it. Um, okay, yeah, so in terms of the, the pressure in, in terms of getting rid of the cash or doing something with the cash, I think that's directly, uh, inversely proportional to the stock price. So if the stock is doing terrific, I don't think there's going to be a lot of pressure from anyone to do anything with the cash. And if the stock is not doing terrific, there'll be more pressure to either redistribute it, give dividends, buybacks or something. I think it's kind of a more, I think it's more of a practical issue at the time. Um, in terms of the capital uh, needs, and this kind of, I go from here to margins. Um, it's expensive running this business. And for the next five years, you know, I'm thinking like if, if Elon wants 20 million cars by 2030 and we have four factories that might generate 9 million, 10 million cars by 2030, and we have one more coming on board, let's say in Canada in two years, and we have to have probably three or four more before 2030 to get to those numbers. And then I think Berlin went about five, five, or $6 billion. I think Austin all in, they estimate will be about 10 billion all in. So that's a lot of cash over that period of time. So as much as the cash that um, we will reap by having the, the business, we're gonna spend a lot too. So it's, it's not gonna be as available as Apple. I just heard a stat, I don't know where I heard it, but I just heard a, a stat and it estimated by I think 2030 that Tesla would generate about $350 billion in free cash flow during that period of time. But during the prior period of time, that same period of time, Apple would generate something like $510 billion of free cash flow. But the difference being Tesla be growing at a you know much greater rate, and Apple would be basically, you know, pretty, pretty flat, absent uh, some kind of Apple car. But I think ultimately they have to spend a lot of the money. And the fact that Elon said that he's going to keep margins constant suggests to me that he's going to spend the money. If, he, if, he's going to, if he's making more money and he keeps the margins the same, that means the money has to go somewhere. So I would expect that he would just generate more projects to his ultimate goal. If his ultimate goal is going to Mars, then there's probably you know like 50 different projects he could do that he needs to do before he can get there, including bots. 
So I, I'm sure he will find a good way to use that for uh, very productive means. Yeah, I think also, um, you know, those are all good points, Richard. And I think I think that the rate of cash they generate um, is going to supersede the rate of cash they can deploy. And I think that delta, the difference is going to grow and they're going to have to decide, he'll decide to deploy that back into share buybacks. He doesn't want to just hold cash on the balance sheet. You know, I think the, with FSD, you know, beta, you know, I, I'm a believer that it's going to, you know, whether it's, you know, one year or three years, somewhere in this range, it's going to be, you know, fully functional worldwide for robo taxis, maybe in the US, even if there's legal issues in the beginning or some kind of uh, NHTSA recall, what I, in the near term, it'll be deployed elsewhere, then it'll be deployed in the US after that soon or whatever. So I think worldwide and, you know, three years, four years, worst case, it'll be a huge cash cow, just that um, technology. And that's going to really step up the game in terms of how much cash they're generating, where they're not going to be able to deploy it fast enough, even to build factories. You know, they could try to build five factories at once. You know, he, I think he's talked about in the past, Elon, there's only so much capital capital deployment they can do at once. They can't, you know, build five factories at once efficiently or in any reasonable way. You know, they can two at once they're doing now, and that's really extending their resources. So my feeling is that the, the rate of capital, um, the rate of cash generation is just going to accelerate. And it's going to accelerate faster than the rate of the amount of capital. And they'll, they'll spend a lot of money to, to build out capacity of everything, but they're not going to be able to spend that much as much as they're generating. And so I think they'll put some into the into the stock. And whether that starts in 2024 or 2026 or 2027, I'm not sure. But I think for sure they're going to buy back shares and, and with a significant amount of cash. The surprise for me that when, when that came up, and Richard, I'll, I'll hand it to you next. I saw you coming off mute. But the... The, the fact that he came out on the yearly investor meeting and he already signaled that they may start buybacks to me tells me that he's already seeing this separation in sort of that gap forming. And I was surprised to hear him say that. I really was because I'm like, this is the guy that's constantly creating stuff with the money, trying to bring value for the world. And then in the, in the middle of 2022, he's saying, we'll probably start doing cashbacks at some point. But he's and already just thinking to say about one that, thing that you know? that comment at the annual investor meeting is sort of what yeah. solidifies my view on preventing presenting here. Like I was uncertain up oh, until sure. now. Yeah. But anyway, go on. Sorry. No, no, I appreciate that. No, that 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 helps. Um, and I and I and I agree with you. Like I'm I'm right there with with you. I think that comment is it, it has a lot more meat to it than it than it appears. Because I I just somebody like that that's always thinking about the future and what to do from a product perspective. He's already thinking about buybacks and he's and he brought it up on his own volition like nobody actually like i don't think he had a direct question about i think he was asked about dividends maybe i forget what it was um, do you, i think it was a, yeah i think it was right? a gary black part yeah. of gary black's question i think it was like what are you gonna do and gary black might have suggested dividends or buybacks as part of his question i can't remember but okay. he did you know go out of his way and say buybacks he didn't say dividends but you know he's yeah. definitely thought about it you could tell yeah so that signals to me that they're going to run out of things to do with that cash. Um, Richard, I'll, I'll hand it over to you. I know you came off the mute, but oh yeah, thank you. Yeah, I was just going to say I, I would also expect them to do some acquisitions because they could easily acquire companies like not not specifically, but they could acquire companies like Redwood Materials. They could acquire a mine, especially you know if the, if the idea is going to be to be fully integrated at you know at your main base and have everything available. 
I would just think it's much easier to acquire the foundation already and then move it forward, especially if you have, you know, excess cash. So I'd expect them to do acquisitions too. Yeah, I do think they'll do some amount of acquisitions. I'm not sure they'll do any big acquisitions, but I would think that they do some small ones from time to time for talent reasons more than the actual business. Because I think they feel comfortable they can build anything themselves. That's how Tesla does it. And there's a big advantage in organically creating your own mining infrastructure, whatever it is, unless there's some major regulatory burden it lets them leapfrog or something. Um, you know, they're building insurance themselves. They could have bought like Metro Mile for all the insurance licenses, sort of like Lemonade did or whatever. They didn't do that. They, they're building it from the ground up themselves just because they that's that's how they seem to operate. Elon wants to operate. And that makes sense to me too. But I think for talent reasons like Roman that, and, you know, that manufacturing line, they they bought that business in Germany, I think purely for the the talent, you know, and the skill set of the labor, the, of, the, of the engineers there. So I think they'll, they'll acquire some small companies in, in that regard, but I'm not sure they'll, they'll, they'll acquire anything big. Any thoughts on the panel around this topic? Hans Kuba. I like to propose uh, okay, okay, acquisitions. Uh, uh, of course, uh, uh, we, we often discuss that culture is so important for Tesla, right? The bigger the acquisition, then the bigger risk for changing the culture. So that, that's, I think, one of the reasons why they're not so keen as well. Just a, a minor tidbit here. No, you're good. I think I think the fact that having as much talent as they have reduces the number of acquisitions they need because a company, the way I think about it, a company would ever need to acquire a comp, uh, somebody else to acquire a skill set they don't have. Um, and it seems like Tesla has been very strategic on what those acquisitions are. And I'm wondering as they go down their path of you know AI and robotics. Um, and you know, self-driving cars and things like that. I wonder how much of that talent um, is out there that would be required to be purchased. You know, or, or it would be a target for an acquisition. And in my head, I feel like these would be very small in nature because of how advanced these fields are and how how um, they're not really they haven't permeated in the economy really much. You know, AI is still you know new. You have companies that talk about our AI, but it really is just an algorithm. Okay, it's just a piece of code that runs, and it you know you call it AI because it's more a marketing gimmick than anything. But I'm talking about legitimate artificial intelligence. You know, um, like full self driving cars. It's still in, 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 in the very early inning. So even from an acquisition standpoint, I wonder how big these companies would be to be acquired because of how new the industries are, you know? Um, so even then, like, I feel like there's not that much to spend on acquisitions, maybe a couple billion max in the next, say, 10 to 20 years, just because of the nature of those businesses. Um, it's, it's a fascinating thing to track. And I where, where my head goes to with the latest sort of things that have been happening with the Fed and Tesla's ability to generate cash it seems like, at least from the from the tone that Powell took on the last and this the meeting this week on Wednesday, it seems like a recession is however we define a recession nowadays. Because I guess there's different definitions for a rec the recession, but in a place where the economy is coming down and people are losing their jobs and there's a lot of uncertainty out there in the public, people can't afford houses, things like that. How, how do you guys think about the prospects of Tesla surviving during that time period? And you know, kind of within the topics that we've discussed do you think that is is hurt do you think that it delays it in any way does it have an impact anybody have any thoughts around that i like asking hard questions uh, yeah i i will speak if you uh, so i think like as the worst conditions 
the better it is for Tesla. And I think they demonstrated during COVID. I mean, I you know, it's terrible for the world, but if everybody else shut down and Tesla was able to do what they wanted, build the factories, move forward, build capacity, which they basically did, it's to their advantage because everybody else, other than let's say maybe like BYD, maybe Volkswagen, you know, building any kind of numbers, nobody else is building any numbers. And unless they're given the opportunity to kind of really get production moving, they're going to lag forever. And so I think in part, the worse conditions, the better. And, and, you know, there's always a question about how much cash they have and how long it can last. You know, if it's like a year or two, I'm sure they're fine. If it's 10 years, I'm sure it's uh, problematic. Yeah, I agree with Richard that the recession is helpful to Tesla's business. The Tesla stock price, I think, obviously is flowing with the market overall to a large degree. But um, the actual fundamentals of Tesla's business uh, will continue to improve uh, even with the recession. And it'll be it'll be good for Tesla in a way because a lot of competitors of Tesla will get wiped out much more easily and their cash will run out. You know, Tesla will not come close to running out of cash at this point. They're way beyond ever needing to raise capital again. I mean, we saw what happened with Giga Shanghai shut down for two months of last quarter and Tesla still generated tons of profit, you know? So, I mean, that was the most, I feel like we've reached peak China risk um, in terms of exposure or exposure to Tesla. Now that uh, Berlin and Austin are ramping up, you know, like whether it was last quarter or this quarter, I think, I feel like that those were the quarters of peak China exposure risk. If Shanghai, if Giga Shanghai got completely shut down or whatever, it gets completely shut down, it would hurt Tesla the most. But I think we're getting past this inflection point where even if Giga Shanghai got completely shut down because of some crazy geopolitical event between China and the U.S., you'd have Berlin and Austin ramping up fast enough to carry Tesla forward still. It might set them back a little bit, but they'll still be profitable overall as a business, I think. So, um, you know, I, I do think a recession helps Tesla in setting it apart from any kind of potential competition or perceived competition. Yeah, I mean, y'all are on the ball. The, the thing is that, yes, okay, there are potential scenarios where something could impact Tesla's ability to move as fast as Tesla would like to. And the pandemic was a great example of that, or the chip shortage, that there are opportunities that they could have gone faster. But they're not operating in a vacuum. And the things that are slowing them down are slowing down their competitors two, three, four, ten times as much as they're slowing down Tesla. And so when you look at them as the best positioned because of their agile practices, because of all the things that we've learned from you and from Joe Justice, you know, they can make those adjustments on the fly as needed and continue to thrive in difficult environments when compared to any competitor. I was gonna say it's probably the worst climate for a startup. You know, they're they're already, you know, upside down, they have no revenue, they have big debt, and now their financing is gonna be, you know, either much more expensive and their sales are gonna be lower. That's kind of like a disaster, you know, recipe for disaster. You're on mute, Farzad. I'm so good at this. Uh, how about the uh, what's going on in China with the uh, potential risks around, um, you know, their 
there's all these YouTube videos now from all these uh, finance folks, which, you know, I really respect and I really like their com- content, but I could not get away from my homepage. Every other video was China is about to collapse. China is about to collapse. Uh, and I know there's a lot of legitimate fears in that country around their, um, you know, their, the housing bubble that they have, how it's what 30 percent of the of the of the economies uh, as the GDP of the, of the country is tied up in these assets that are um, that are uh, tied to these loans that are super, super risky and there's a bunch of different variables that are going on with that. But if if China were to go into a serious economic, say, recession or depression, uh, how do you guys think about that with Tesla specifically? Because a significant percentage of their sales are in China. And I've heard a lot of bears talk about, hey, this is a huge risk that's coming down the pike. I have my own thoughts about it. But do you any have you guys thought about that uh, variable at all? Um, is that something you'd like to discuss or anything that has come up? So one of the it depends on the scenario um if there's a situation in which the government is shutting down the factory or for whatever reason they can't export cars from giga shanghai that's a completely different scenario than there just isn't as much of a market for cars in china because their cost of production there is still really low and if the economy is cratering like they could be one of the best employers and they could get a lot of support from the government because they are a backstop trying to at least support portions of local economies in certain places. Um, And they can just shift those deliveries outside of China if the market inside of China collapses. So, you know, that's one possible scenario. Now, if something happens and for whatever reason, the world is, say, imposing sanctions on China and they're not allowed to export cars or, you know, there is some sort of military conflict that impacts that. It is a definitely a different scenario. Um, and it's, you know, it would definitely be a material impact to Tesla to lose that capacity and that export. Um, but like we've said, you know, there's other factories coming online. It's definitely something they could get through, but it would be a significant short-term challenge to me the way i think about it is that it's a um the tesla and the and china seem to have a very good relationship and tesla is a big percentage of the sort of chinese future of trying to move electric cars forward and they seem to really respect engineering and a lot of like uh brains you know like intelligence going behind something i don't, I don't want to speak about their government or anything like that but just spe- specifically what from what seems like is the is the relationship between elon and china they seem to have a pretty strong one um and i think i agree with you that short of the country taking any steps to uh, physically put uh, limitations for tesla to be able to operate uh within that context is in china's best interest it seems like to ensure that Tesla is able to continue on its path of selling cars and driving their mission forward. And I think the export nature of, of that of that relationship as well, where they're able to divert the car, say the demand isn't in China, but they're still selling it anywhere else. And the, you know, the Chinese factory gets the, the funds essentially because they're selling it to other markets. I think that also works to their advantage. Um, it, it's, and as Austin and Berlin ramp, you're taking less uh, strain out of that factory plus any other gigafactories that come up. So here in the next year or two, there should be way less uh, uh, dependency on Shanghai to be your 
uh, majority driver of cars versus, you know, then you are the three factories will do, you know, two to three X what Shanghai is doing now, right? So uh, there are some pieces in place that will shelter any potential impact from uh, that country seriously taking on some bruises. But that's how I see it. I don't know if any, anybody else agrees, but um, it's a curious yeah. thing to talk about. Yeah, Farza, and going to your original point about like kind of the the fear mongering going around about China's you know real estate bubble and recession coming. You know, I can't remember like a any stretch of meaningful time where that type of um, uh, you know I don't want to call fear mongering because it's probably a realistic possibility that this stuff is imminent. But I can't remember any point of time in the last like 10 years where that kind of storyline isn't being presented by uh, certain people in, in the media or on YouTube or, or Twitter or whatever, you know, there's certain people that are just very anti or, you know, bullish bearish to China in general. They think, you know, it's about to collapse. And, you know, I, there's this hedge fund manager, Kyle Bass, that's been talking about it for a decade plus now. And, you know, sooner or later, you know, it's going to happen, but um, you know, China will go into a, a big recession. I just, I have, I, I'm not on the ground in China. I don't really know enough people on the ground. It'd be great to have like a roundtable discussion at some point. Uh, I've been talking to Matt about it even or on your channel, some kind of discussion with some people that are like on the ground in China and understand the Chinese economy along with people that maybe understand Tesla to some degree. So they could, we could kind of put it together and get, you know, understanding from, from people on the ground there. Be, I'm curious to see what their views are on this. If anybody in the comments section has that sort of capability, uh, shoot me a DM on Twitter at Farziness, F-A-R-Z-Y-N-E-S-S, or um, I guess Emmett, if, I don't know if your DMs are open, but uh, definitely feel free to send yeah. it to me. Yeah, the, you know, the Fully Charged show, they have recently acquired a Chinese correspondent, so maybe there's some collab possibility over there. Nice. Okay. Optimistic uh, plague lawyer view. Um, they used to say, like, when the United States sneezed, the world would catch a cold. That's what they used to say. And so I think China has a material effect on the rest of the world economy. And I would say, looking at the numbers that China itself is producing, so their own statistics, they are headed in a downward trend. So I can't vouch for the accuracy, but I could vouch for the, the curvature of their graph. And I think their COVID restrictions are ridiculous and anti-business and not helpful. And the fact that Xi is running, so that he's running for election, I think it's October. Coming it's coming up. up. It's a big event, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So we don't know post that if their policies will change now because now he would have been assured his position and maybe they could open up to COVID, maybe they could be more open to business, maybe, you know, I don't know what what will change. But I do believe to, to the extent that China ends up in a poor economic position, that it will not only impact Tesla, it'll impact everybody. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the, the market conditions right now, uh, like, as it relates to Tesla, like, if they're somewhat analogous in my head to like a little bit of the FUD years in a way, you know, like call it 2016 to 2019, like where where there was uh, some fear around Tesla, but it's way, 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 way smaller and it's all macro driven. And that's what's been a fascinating thing. So and one of the signals I've started to get since I've had this uh, channel and Twitter is that 
anytime, <laughs> anytime I see like people start going on my comment sections or on my tweets and they start like spreading, you know, all this shit, I guess, about how Tesla is going to be in pro. Like I had a couple of people in the comment section here earlier, you know, blah, blah, blah. Tesla's going down 20%, get on the bear side, so on and so forth. I find that to be such a fascinating thing that has happening. And it signals to me that there is a lot of, um, that, that we're, we're reaching peak fear. And I've seen that happen a couple times where those signals come out. And if I start getting shit on on my channel and Twitter, then that tells me, okay, we've reached a point where now, now everybody's afraid. And there isn't a lot, you know, these folks are emboldened. They're coming out. Tesla's taking the beating. Like, a lot of people following the company are exhausted. Like me, I'll be honest. Like I walk, look at the stock and I'm like, damn, another red day. That's sucks. You know, fortunately I'm, I'm, in, I'm, in a, I'm in a very good position to be able to survive that. But at the same time, it's mentally exhausting. Um, Emmett, you, you and I were sort of DMing before this live stream and we were uh, sort of uh, talking about coping mechanisms <laughs> that <laughs> when you're in a uh, yeah. environment of, of this sort of uh, pain that folks uh, are going through. And, you know, it's no fun to look at your, um, at, at your holdings and seeing them red month after month after month after month. So yeah. um, what, what are you doing to try and uh, survive these, uh, these uh, months here? Yeah, I mean, I think doing stuff like this is perfect because you know you're listening or talking with other tesla um enthusiast tesla investors that are in the same boat as you so you don't feel like as alone right so that's number one a good thing to do look for the financial you know the the, the twitter threads about tesla you know see if there's anything that you should be really stressed about about the business and and then you kind of confirm to yourself you know there's nothing wrong with the business right now why am i so stressed it's just the stock market you know um and then so it kind of helps keep your mind on the long game. Number two, um, personally, like in the past, there's lots of, I didn't have that so much. There's the Tesla motor clubs forums, um, which was, you know, a, a big help. And I had a friend or two that were investors in Tesla, but it wasn't anything like today, but I had a day job before I did well enough to retire and start my own thing. And I would just focus much, I put my head down and just focus much harder than I normally, I would work hard anyway, but I would just like on the days where Tesla was down a lot, I would just be like, well, I guess I'm not going to retire from Tesla by the time I'm 50. I better just work extra, extra hard at my job to make sure, you know, I do continue to do well in my day job, which I was doing well anyway, but it would just give me, I would channel that fear into like motivation to work harder at my day job. Or now, now that I don't have a day job, I, I spend, I try to spend more time with my kids or my family and just remember what's important, you know, or maybe I go exercise or go for a walk in nature spend time with friends and family, you know, helping other people gets me out of my own head a lot. Try to, I try to find healthy coping mechanisms on days where it's so stressful to look at the Tesla stock price because, uh, you know, there's nothing else, you, you know, there's nothing, it's, it's good to change my mindset, you know, into something else when the Tesla stock is down 5% or 4% on a day, you know, day after day after day for a week straight or something like that. Uh, so, that's how I deal with it. I try to just channel into something healthy. Um, everyone else has other ideas. I'm curious what, what you guys do when you're seeing lots of down days in a row like that. I cry. <laughs> what I, try I got my do, crying session in before we got in, so I'm good. All right. <laughs> I try to do is I try to figure that this is a learning experience. And I don't really care how you know, bad the time is in particular, I figure it'll be helpful 10 years down the road 
The next time I've given like, there'll be some set of facts, I'll have gone through this, it'll be like a piece of cake at that point in time. And so I try not to get bent out of shape. I know it's long-term and I try to make it as productive as I can. That's kind of how I look at it. Kubar Hunts? I guess for me, I, I'm i in kind of a, maybe an in-between position. First of all, I've been in the stock long enough to have done pretty well based on what I had in there, but I never had that much in it to begin with to where it's, you know, a huge, huge sum of money now either. And so um, because it's performed significantly on a percentage basis and because it's not like, I don't know, it's probably, it's probably 30% of my net worth. Um, I don't necessarily let it, like, it doesn't bother me. I don't really even think about it. When it's down, I'm like, hmm, I wish I had some extra cash. Um, and that's, you know, so recently we sold our old house. We moved to a larger house to have a little bit more room for the family. And part of the deal was that we had, our property had done pretty well. It had appreciated more than double what we paid for it. And so I am in the process of converting cash that we had in equity now putting that into a brokerage account and I'll be deploying that into Tesla. And so I'm actually kind of excited right now that, you know, red days, I'm like, come on, I'll drop another 10%, 20%. bastard. It's all my fault. Um, because I am planning to deploy more into the company, you know, here in the next month. And so the longer I can actually get a discount on the, on the stock price, the, the better that is for at least for the next month. That's a nice position to be in to always have like that next buying round of Tesla stock coming up. So you can kind of be like, hey, it's not so bad. It's going down. I'll get some more cheap. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, this is the first time I've been in this position since really I held and it's just because we sold the house. So I've been, you know, all the, all the spare money that we had before was already in. And so I would see opportunities. I'd be like, man, I wish I had the ability to, to purchase right now. What about you, Kuba? Yeah, I just wanted to go this direction as well. And uh, I follow some of the buy the dip crowd on YouTube as well, uh, some of the stock pickers. And uh, uh, what they seem to say, and I'm, I think, slowly getting to that point psychologically, is that, yeah, exactly, you get excited that you can buy more and it outweighs the, the pain that you feel from the your portfolio going down. Because it basically just... Uh, deep down you know that in the end it will all go up right so that's and i think that's a big effort that you have to put in to to set it up in your mind like that and i think that would be great uh, it will be certainly less stressful uh, but i'm not sure if that's even realistic to to be like that all the time because it seems a bit too rosy to be always excited oh obviously you have to have disposable income to actually deploy so that's that's the yeah, that's the position that Hans is right now. So yeah, and I I wish everyone that they they are in this position, that at least even small sums of money regularly that you can you can put in, and then maybe it's 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 more bearable because at least you're getting a discount. Yeah, it, it does take some intention and being strategic in order to make sure that you're in a position where you can do that if if that's the way that you need to manage your psychology, like if you need to have some margin, some buffer on the side in order to be able to deploy cash in 
when the price is going down in order for it not to make you freak out and want to sell or, you know, get yourself. Cause I mean, that psychological personal battle that you're going to fight as an investor is something that you have to do on your own. And so you have to know what are the things that freak you out? What are the things that make you want to hit that sell button or, you know, what are the things that potentially could go on in your life that could actually put you in a position to do something that maybe you don't even want to do. And so thinking about those things ahead of time and, you know, creating contingency plans and trying to build in the margin in your life, uh, which you probably do by not taking on any margin in your brokerage account. Um, then yeah, you have to, you have to think through those things. Yeah. I think, go ahead, Richard. Oh, and, and it helps if you like the daily drama of Elon and it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I think for me, like it, it's a, it's a chance for me to sit down. So when in my head, when I when I look at the stock price, and it's down, say, more than I would like it to be, let's just put it that way. Like I'm like, I'm being psychologically impacted by the market movements. I always use that as a signal to say, okay, I need to sit down and re go through my math and why I'm invested in the first place. And if I'm comfortable with how much I have invested in that stock, in that, in that thing. So I always use that as that signal, like, do I have the right amount in the right place? And I go through the math, I, I ensure that all the variables that are in play are, are still backing up that thesis that I had as to why I have so much in the stock. And if I get a green check mark for all those things, is Elon still at the company? Yep. Are the gross prospects still there? Yep. Uh, are they going to be super profitable here in the coming quarters? I think. Yep. Are margins going to be in good shape? Yep. Is there some risks with China and the economy? Yes. But do I think that Tesla will be able to survive it better than anything else in the economy? Yep. So I start going through that process. And again, the, not financial advice. For the love of God, I'm the last person you want to listen to for financial advice. Okay. But this is how I think about it. Um, and it also, like, and maybe, I don't know how much this, uh, Emma, you were kind of talking about this too, but um, I, I'd really force me to sit down and be like, okay, what actually makes me happy? Like what, what actually makes me happy as a human being? And I use these like down days to lean hard into that. I'm super passionate about Tesla. I'm super passionate about uh, getting to sit down and talking with y'all and being part of the community and, you know, following the stock price. And it's fun. It's just really, really fun. But I also like playing guitar. I like hanging out with my wife. I like like to you know eat good meals. I, I like to exercise, you know, and I should be doing more of that. It, it gives us, I think, a chance to plug in with the real world <laughs> a little bit. Uh, especially if you, if you if you have conviction in your investment. So, um, but I'm very fortunate to be in that position too. So where my mind and heart goes is like those that aren't able to uh, be capable of enjoying that. I still feel I feel like some sort of pain for those people that are in this position where where they are invested in this company, but they they're seeing this. You know, say they invested late 2021, they're seeing their funds really coming down. And they're like, man, I really believe in this company. I really want it to go forward. And I'm sure it's painful. And a lot of them probably don't have the means to, you know, maybe like a Hans or anybody else, like they're able to sort of take the dips and put more money and maybe they're like tapped out and that's all they have. And their net worth is coming down. That's a shitty situation to be in. And it reminds me of the FUD years. You know, while I was at Tesla, I was like, fuck that. That sucked. That sucked really bad. So then I'm like, okay, what can we do to in any way help those folks? And 
uh, where my head goes to is like, again, it's like, do, do you feel like you're invested in the right place for the right reasons in the right amount? And maybe use the, these times to to verify that for yourself and uh, try to look at it from a very non-emotional standpoint and try to separate the feelings from the facts, right? Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was. I felt like I was in that position a lot from 2000. You know, twelve to two thousand nineteen or whatever. For, you know, traded sideways. I invested. I had kept investing so much of my personal. It was like a large amount of my personal wealth in this brokerage account. But I had this day job at the same time. I was dependent on the cash flows to live on. And when when there was peak fud or the macro market was collapsing and Tesla along with it, and I, you know, I was using like long a lot of long term options at the time too. Too. So when Tesla was down five percent, maybe that brokerage account was down twenty percent. You know, so it was some pretty stressful days. And I would just. I would just totally like channel that fear into like, I better work my butt off of my job to continue, you know, being very productive in my day job. So like on the down days, it really like, not that I wouldn't work hard on the up days, but I tend to more relax when Tesla's up to all new time highs, I'd be like, Oh, I probably don't even need to work her that, that long. I don't need to do as much, but when Tesla was down, I'd be like, Oh, get on that keyboard, write all those emails, make calls, just get on it. You know, I, mean, I feel that so hard. much. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious, Emmett, can you speak to, since you've, you've basically been on both sides now, you've done that personally, but now you're also managing money for other people and you're invested in high growth, high volatility things. What's the difference that you feel now in that emotional battle of being an investor and managing not only your money, but managing money for other people? Uh, you know, how does that compare to before when it was just yours? And so, you know, maybe before you were taking bigger risks. And so it mm -hmm. felt like, well, the people that have, uh, you know, it made it pretty clear the fund we have, it's very risky. Um, we make sure our investors are not allowed to put in any more than 10% of their net worth. That's the maximum. We screen for that. And because it's very risky, we want to be the risky portion of, of people's uh, diversification basket. And so they know full well going into our fund that it's going to be very volatile because um, that's the only way I can sleep at night knowing it's other people's money too. So that's also, you know, 10 to 20% of my net worth is in that fund. That's where I am most risky with. And it's stressful. I want to see that business grow. Um, but I have to remind myself, I have to continue to remind myself that, you know, this is not my whole net worth, this fund. So when it's going up or down 10 or 20% in a day or whatever, like it's not, it, it, it's not my whole net worth. You know, my, most of my net worth is Tesla stock and a few other things that, you know, SpaceX, some other things. Um, but the fund itself has a lot of options and it's just, it can be stressful for sure, but I, I, I have kind of boxed that stress into that pooled account, so to speak. And so it's contained, you know, and it can't, it can't gravitate to become my whole life. You know, it can just be that containment zone of 10, 20% of my net worth and 10% of the other investors net worth. So I know there's that containment it takes the stress off a little bit, not to say it's not stressful. It's still stressful because I want to see the business grow. So I, I don't have like some other day job to work on to channel. So I, I try to focus more time on family or healthy habits or whatever it is, you know, it's just, uh, but it's still there. Um, but I just, I have to remember it's, you know, in this one box, that's not more than 20% of my net worth typically. And on a, you know, can be 10 or 20, depending on the, how the markets are going, you know, but at some point, if it grows really well, maybe it'll become 50% of my net worth again, it'll just go really well and go, but that's, you know, it's possible it goes down to be, you know, 0% of my net worth too. So I have to realize that, you know, if it, if it, 
the crashes. So it's just a different animal now. And I have to, it's the same aggressive investment strategy I've been using personally. Um, but I've, I've moved it just to this one pool to count that other investors can join in on and it can go for years, you know, having a really tough time and then explode one year, or maybe it'll just dwindle away over a long time. I, I, I will find time will tell. I was going to say, I, I find one other thing on this topic that people sometimes are so tunnel vision in Tesla that if the stock goes down, that means Tesla is going down and it's not relative to the macro. And I think people get unnecessarily stressed out when it's, if the economy, you know, if the market's going to go, if you look at the market today, it looks like, you know, a horror movie. And if that's the case, there's, you know, it's a nothing. It's a nothing, nothing burger, as Yashi would say. And uh, so I think people sometimes get overly focused and take it personally when it's really not. It's just the more the general. Yeah. Yeah, I do think the that to me speaks to uh, maybe an honest conversation has to be had with oneself that says, again, like, am I like, why do I feel the way that I feel? You know, like, why, why do I feel so stressed out by by the stock going down so much like i know the company's doing well and i can speak from experience because when i was you know say 2017 2018 2019 where literally every penny i had was in the company i was working there and i was in negative net worth trying to make something out of myself i'm like why the fuck do i feel so bad every time the stock goes down and it helped me sort of, it was almost like therapy. I was giving myself a little bit of therapy because I'm like, man, this is, this sucks. This really, really sucks. Um, the separation between company and stock is I think so difficult to do. And even to this day, I find myself in that trap where like today, for example, this morning I, w I wake up and my dumbass, what's the first thing I do? I look at the freaking stock market, like the, the dumbest thing anybody could ever do in this market. I wake up, I pull up Tesla chart, and my wife's yelled at me for this before, you know, like I'll wake up and I'm on my phone and she's like, are you looking at the fucking stock price? I'm like, oh my God, you're right. So then I close my phone and I go, I do my hour long routine that I should be doing every morning before I even touch my phone. Um, it's just so fascinating how much psychology is involved in this, you know, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, you should wake up and watch Rob Maurer, but this week. No, you're right. Off, so, so that's, you're the, right. that's, that's a problem. Just blame. Shout out blame Tesla Rob. daily. You're right. Thanks for nothing, Rob. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just the, the amount of psychology that goes into this sort of this game that we're in right now, which is like, how can we figure out how to, uh, how to, uh, uh, almost like ride Tesla into the future because we really believe in the mission that they're doing. And then, but we also want to be part of that mission, both financially and, and in other ways too. It's uh, 10 years ago, I would have never seen myself in this situation ever. Like I would have never pictured myself doing this, but the, the psychology behind it has been so fascinating to follow. And, uh. Yeah, I, I it, it feels so like this community, like one has anything like this ever existed before. This feels so weird in a way, you know, like we're here for each other, trying to like help each other through these like moments and, you know, different people in different circumstances, but we're all in it together kind of thing. It's special. It's really yeah. freaking cool. It's really freaking cool. What, what I just thought of when you were talking about all that is like, it's almost like there's almost part of me that wishes like, you know, at certain times in the past, I wouldn't, not now, but in the past, there's certain times where like how stressful it is looking at Tesla up and down with the, the brokerage can go up and down where I wish I could just like 
fall asleep one night and wake up five years later, you know, and like see this <laughs> Tesla stock price where it had gone in five years and missed that whole five years of my life. Like, how crazy is that? Like, I would rather just wake up 10 years from now, you know, with Tesla stock price 10 times higher than to actually live this next 10 years. It's so crazy that it gets to that point sometimes. Yeah. 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 That's, uh, yeah, go ahead, Richard. <laughs> yeah. I thought the same thing. Mine was five years, not 10 though. Cause I'm older. <laughs> Oh man. Um, there was, I, I want to answer this real quick to somebody posed it. What's your morning routine? I don't know if, if you guys have any morning routines you'd like to share, but mine is, this is what mine is supposed to be. I'll tell you what it's supposed to be. And it, it's often not because I'm a, I'm not very good at this. Like I, this is one of my problems. It's supposed to be, you know, wake up, use the restroom, brush teeth, stretch for 15 minutes, meditate for 15 minutes, and then go for a walk for half an hour, come back, take a shower, and then make coffee for myself and the wife using a like pour over. I have like this 15 minute routine. Like it's almost like a, like, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, a like some sort of thing I have to do every single morning. And, um, yeah. And then once the coffee's brewed and I give it to my wife, then I come to the kitchen uh, island, I open the iPad and then I start my day. Uh, and that takes about an hour to an hour and a half, but it gets derailed most days. That's supposed to be my morning routine. So I've been trying to work towards making that happen. Because anytime I do it, I feel so much happier. Uh, I really do. And it really helps me get the day started. But uh, but every, there's so much stuff going on that I'm really interested in. And, and it's very interesting to me. And I want to learn more about it. That my, my head goes towards that direction. And it's very hard for me to reel it back in. Because I really think I have a problem with like being present and really trying to like analyze what's going on around me. And like really invest in myself. So... Uh, but yeah, that's that's my routine. I don't know if anybody wants to share theirs, but that's that's what I do. My 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 morning routine. I don't really have a whole lot of morning routine. The first thing I probably do is I roll over, pick up my phone, look at the Tesla stock price, and then I look at Twitter and search Elon Musk to see if he tweeted anything. <laughs> and then I search Twitter and go chronologically and try to catch up as much as I can before my wife's like, "Come on, we gotta get the kids ready." And then I'm ready to start my day. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> Who's next? Who wants to go next? I'm up usually before six. I look at my phone downstairs, check uh, the pre-market, put the uh, collar on my dog, drive my dog to a place to walk him, which I know it's kind of odd. But once I've walked my dog, then I'm set. I'm good. Good for the day. Nice. What kind of dog is it? A Rhodesian Ridgeback. Okay, yeah, we're thinking about getting uh, a dog, like maybe a golden retriever is what I've always wanted. But uh, it'd be good to have that walk, requ me required to walk the dog in the mornings. It'd be a healthy change of pace probably for yeah. my morning routine. Yeah, they're very athletic and very strong. So if you want to run or walk, they'll take you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hunter Kuba, you guys want to share your, your routines? Any anything Anything special? Coffee is the biggest part of the morning routine. Just yeah, get up, get that coffee going. We do uh, we do French press, and uh, with five kids in the house, it's just hard to have much consistency. There have been routines in the past, but not these days. Kuba, how about you? Yeah, I'm I'm happy to share. So I'm doing this crazy challenge, which is called Seventy Five Heart from Andy Frisella, and uh, seventy five days. Uh, one of the part, one part of this challenge is to get two workouts in 45 minutes every day. 
so because I have a kid that likes to get up really early around six, then I have to get up at five and do the first workout before he wakes up. <laughs> so that's basically the biggest challenge for me in the, the morning workout. If I manage to do that, then I know that the day is going to be fine. But sometimes he wakes up in the middle of my workout and then I'm a bit screwed. <laughs> yeah, and then if sometimes he sleeps a bit longer. So then I, I even managed to do some meditation after the workout. Uh, but yeah, but that's basically my main concern in the morning is just get the first training session in before everybody else wakes up. Yeah, yeah that's really great. The, the working out first thing extra early. I've been experimenting lately. Uh, with there's a like pickup basketball at 5 30 in the morning around here on uh, three days a week so i've been going once once a week or maybe i'll go three days a week sooner or later but those days i just feel like i feel like i get so much more done for the rest of that day i just feel like that day is much longer and enjoyable in general than the normal days you know when you start off like that yeah yeah it's such a huge thing to like start your day right especially with exercise i find it's just so such a game changer but I can never get myself to keep it into a routine. It sucks. Like it's, and I always beat myself up for myself over it. You know, it's it's pretty wild. Somebody tells you to get a golden doodle, by the way, Emmett. Both saying you should get a golden doodle. Yeah, my wife dog. has been talking about that. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not <laughs> doodle poodle. We had she had a, a multi poo previously. We had another. I'm, I'm 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 I think I'm done with the poodles. They're very smart though, but uh, and <laughs> they're also very good because they don't shed or something. So, but. Uh, I kind of want like just a traditional golden retriever. I don't know. I've always wanted one since I was a kid. Nice. Kuba, go ahead. So if, you, you came off if you struggle with, with building the routine part of that, uh, recently I got quite deep on uh, The War of Art, which is a book by Stephen Pressfield. And it says it talks, about art. it talks about art, but it applies to any basically endeavor, any effort that you want to put in any sphere of your life. So it would equally apply to, to your struggles. And yep. you would learn that there is this thing called resistance that is lurking yep. and trying to force you not to do what you set up to do. And it really yep. helped me. And I, I read a few of his other books as well recently. And it's been really, really helpful in my case. No, I appreciate that. I literally just read that book a, a month ago and I, and I gave it to my wife. I'm like, you have to read this because she was like that resistance part of like everyday life. Like that's the signal that says this is where you got to go. Like where you feel resistance, that's the path. Like literally life is creating a path for you. There's resistance, go towards that path. And I did that for like a week or two. I'm like, hell yeah. And then I just fell off the wagon. Like that's that's my problem. It's like I can't, I think I think having this sort of, um, like having a life of, of low structure because of sort of the sort of life that I've created, you know, that I have for myself right now is probably not, the best it's not the optimal way for me to live i think i think i really do have to start introducing structure in my life i think i'm uh and i wonder how many people out there are, are sort of like in the same boat and again i don't have kids either like so that's another thing i think that, that is impacting this right now is that because i don't have that crazy like some sort of structure that forces me to do certain things to create a routine or to get me going a certain way i think it's detrimental because then it's up to me to create that structure for myself and I'm finding out that I'm not very good at holding myself accountable. <laughs> so I need, I think I need to invest time in seeing how I can make myself uh, be accountable for my own actions to try and get into those things. And, and that book was super helpful, 
But for me, it's like longer term, you know, because I'm like drawn by these other things like, oh, check Tesla, like, like Emmett said, you know, like I can't tell you how many times it's like the same thing with me, Twitter, Tesla stock and everything else. I'm like out there trying to absorb this information so I can make the best decisions for the future. And this whole time I'm like missing out on the present and making the present better and making myself better through health and mental health and other things. So it's a struggle. Yeah, you can outsource the accountability as well. You can start a channel on our Discord and then we'll check up on you. Oh, you shit. To tell us how the morning routine went. Damn, that's a good idea. <laughs> oh, my God. You guys are going to be so disappointed. <laughs> I, can, I can charge you to coach you if you'd like. Okay. Very lawyer of you. Yeah, yeah. thank you. <laughs> I, I was going to say along these lines, I saw something last night. It's not really along these lines, but it's an excuse for me to say this. Uh, sort of along these lines, I saw a reference to an environmental paradise that they're going to build in Austin. So apparently they got approval for an additional 500,000 square feet of structure, which brings the, I, so I studied like the measurements. So the entire property is something on the order of 3.3 miles by 3.3 miles, which is about 300 million square feet. The buildable area to date with this additional 500,000 square feet is about 12 million square feet. So it's just a little fraction of the total property. But they referenced to building some type of an environmental project there. And in essence, it would build a boardwalk from the factory to downtown Austin and have a path of, I think, waterways, bikeways, et cetera. And it sounded to me like a, a really interesting and forward-looking project for the area itself. So I didn't see any more detail beyond that. And I was wondering if any of you had, had heard about that. I saw a news report about it. I'm going to look look up the, uh, the article. Any of you guys hear about that? Any thoughts about that? I think it was only based on some tweets from Elon. And that's, that was all. But at least we know where the money will go to, right? Yeah, I saw the tweets and... Um... You know, that's kind of a common thing. I don't know, you know, different place where people live, but in San Antonio, there's a big boardwalk downtown and um, kind of some of the other areas around here. We've got quite a few of those. And so I'm excited to see what they do getting that built up there in Austin. Um, I was just trying to look at the map to see like what kind of waterway really exists that goes from the factory to downtown to kind of get an idea of how long this is going to be. Yeah. Um, maybe for the last uh, 15, 20 minutes here of the of the stream, if, if anybody in the comments section wants to drop some uh, comments or questions for the panel, uh, write question right before your comment, and then we'll propose it to the panel, and then we'll discuss it. But um, maybe in the meantime, Emmett, what are you um, what are you looking for going into next week? Um, what's what's your head telling you? It's going to be the same, same old thing we're seeing in the last couple of days. How are you thinking about that? Yeah, I do think it's going to be the same old thing for a while. Um, it's hard to know. Like I'm 50, 50 on whether today is the bottom local bottom or not, you know, like if I, if I had a strong inclination that it was going to keep going down, I'd be doing something about it, buying puts or whatever, but I just, it's I'm uncertain, but I think Tesla's going to move with, you know, the, how, whatever the tide is of the macro market on that day for a while. Um, the production and maybe it'll outperform like it did for a little while there for the last month or so until the last couple of days. So maybe it'll, it'll maybe if the 
you know, NASDAQ is up 2%, maybe Tesla will be up 4%, or maybe if the NASDAQ is flat, Tesla will be up 1%. So I think that could happen, which would be nice because I think there is some relative strength um, for Tesla with, with uh, you know, the, the, I think, I think the word is getting out slowly but surely that Tesla is is going to is a mega cap to stay and is going to be one of the biggest companies in the world. You know, I think more and more people are are starting to believe that and I think the, the this quarter's production delivery numbers becoming a reality and then the gross margins that, you know, Matt and I are are forecasting to be pretty strong for the earnings report. I think those are data points that'll help move us in that direction as well in terms of like you know, the, the mass psychology of, you know, both retail and, and institutional investors, I think you'll have incrementally more people believing in that possibility of Tesla becoming the biggest company in the world. So I think we're on that march forward. Um, but, uh, you know, sometimes it's two steps forward, one step back and, you know, and then there's the macro market to also, uh, worry about. And that seems to be the biggest driver at the current moment. So, uh, you know, next week, um, I'm excited to get the the delivery report. Isn't that next week? Uh, no, no, that's the week be after. Saturday or Sunday. Yeah, yeah, Saturday Sunday after after next week, I guess. So yeah. next week you'll have. We'll see if there's anticipation for it because there'll be you know lots of people will be talking about it. So we'll see if there's a you know buying the rumor, selling the news event for those numbers or not. Do you remember there was that? Uh, there was that January. Um, I think it was January first this past year, January second this past year. Wasn't Tesla stock up like 10% on their production delivery number that day? And then like the next day it tanked and the day after that it tanked because of the macro market, you know? And so, um, yeah, we'll see if this is a surprise or not, but it seems like Troy's got a pretty good beat on the numbers and it hasn't really uh, done something different than what Troy's expecting in a while. So, so we'll see. I don't know. What do you guys all think about this next week with, with regards to Tesla and the market in general? Yeah, I, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I real quick pulled up the January 3rd, 2022. Yeah, so there was a huge jump. And then the next three days, the next four days were all red. Yeah. Um, and so that's when the deliveries would have been uh, captured. Um, yeah, I think I, I think about it the same way. I do think uh, also I wonder if the you know AI day two is going to be next week uh, as well on the Friday. Right. So I wonder if that's the big event. Know, yeah, I forgot it's the about big that. event. Uh, somebody, somebody asked in the comments if you got invited to uh, to AI Day Two. Have you, Emmett? Are you going? I have not seen an email yet on that. No, okay. I'm, I'm looking. On, I'm, I'm on the lookout, but I, I have not gotten that. Does any anyone here have has gotten? I heard some people got invited mm -hmm. already, right? Yeah, I've heard I've, some people got invited. I've been looking for Emmett's email too, but I haven't found it either. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm on the same boat. I think I think you know the delivery numbers are going to be interesting. Troy, like you said, has has such a good pulse on that, and that he's my go-to for deliveries. And it seems like from his public information that he's shared, it, it, he's uh, a little bit, I think, a couple percentage points above what the, where the markets thinks it's going to be. So it looks like we may see a beat from that front. Um, I think the. The real story probably is not going to happen until the the earnings are reported because that's when I think the 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 true implications of a three sixty three seventy delivery type of quarter what it actually means for the stock. If you sort of rewind back to Q four and they had that big beat, I think three twenty five was the number where they delivered something around that three ten maybe I forget what the number was, but it was a significant beat. I think and it's then the earnings, or something, yeah. 
Yeah. Round there. Yeah. And and the earnings were just bananas and people were like, oh my God, I can't believe they're making so much money. And then Tesla's going to be able to add yet another, what, 40 grand or 40, 50K on top of that, plus potentially the benefit of additional margins because of how, you know, the price increases and the crazy demand. Yeah. So it's, it's going to be a weird, it's going to be a quite weird quarter to see uh, how the market reacts to it because the implications from a net income perspective are going to be so insane. Um, but I don't know what that means for next week. I don't know if more people are going to be waking up to it due to the delivery number or not. So, um, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. I, I would just say in this macro market, um, Tesla, like it could have something similar in the earnings report. Maybe the earnings report blows us out of the water and Tesla is up, you know, 10%, 15%, you know, after hours, you know, if the next day is a day like today in the macro market, Tesla could end up flat that next day. We've seen that many times. And so it's, it's frustrating, but you gotta, I think you gotta just, for me, I, I just remind myself that I feel like there's a floor in Tesla stock and that floor gets raised with every earnings, you know, beat from the prior quarter in terms of gross, you know, profitability and such. Anyway, sorry, Kuba, you were going to say something. No, I was also going to add that there's uh... The, the China numbers might be interesting because I was expecting a, a huge upside there. But recently I saw some discussions uh, in the Twitterverse. I think that there might be actually surprising a bit to the downside due to people's concerns to that the wait times are decreasing in China. So that might also be a bit of a, uh, a wrench in the wheel. Mm-hmm. I'd heard also that... In, I'm sorry. No, please go ahead. I'd heard also that in China, there was some uh, public discussion that there might be some discounts offered in October, and that might be suppressing demand up till that point. At least that's what I'd heard. Yeah. Yeah, I think we'll get all the answers we're looking for in the delivery number. Um, Let's uh, go ahead and answer some questions from the chat. Uh, Ishan, Discord member, uh, Patreon supporter, YouTube supporter. Thank you very much, Ishan, for the question. At Emmett, how often do you see people needing to withdraw from a down market because of a life, of of life, quote unquote? How do you advise people at those times? Is that something that uh, you can answer for us, Emmett? I'm not sure I understand, like withdraw uh, emotionally from a down market because of life or um, is that? I think that's what he means. I think it's like when when the stock's down or like when something's down and people are like, man, it's I lost too much. I got to pull it out because I I don't know. I don't feel secure. I need to use it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I see people talk about think about that and I've seen people do that. And it's almost always been in in retrospect to a mistake when they've done that. I mean, none of this is investment advice, obviously. And um, but you know, it's, uh, if it's to the point where there's more, more, you know, uh, exposure to Tesla, then, um, y- that you depend on to live your life, you know, if it gets cut in half, for example, or worse then that's probably, uh, uh, not a, not a good thing. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't really, ad- advise people. I mean, people ask me questions. I have friends and family that ask me questions and, um, I just tell them what I'm doing a lot of times and that reassures them to some degree, I think. Uh, and, um, most of them have stuck with Tesla or all, you know, all this time. Um, so they've been happy and rewarded over the long period, but, um, yeah, it's just, uh, I think it's good to know that you're not alone if you're kind of emotionally withdrawn from the down market, that there's a lot of people in the same 
bucket or same boat as you with regards to the market in Tesla in particular? Yeah. I think it's, it's wise in your fund, uh, Ahmed, that you have this 10% limit and that because I, I interpreted this question as withdrawing uh, the funds, selling the shares actually. And yeah. uh, possibly in your case, you don't have that much stress when, when uh, down market comes. I, I remember uh, Ross Gerber al always talks about it, that the hardest they have to work is when the market is down because they just have to convince people to stay the course. And that's that's when they work the hardest uh, and that's the hardest part of their work. Um, and yeah, and that's possibly you somehow mitigate that due to this 10% limit, which is a really nice idea. Yeah. All right, let's do another one here. Um, there was a, I've seen a couple of these questions come up and we discussed it on either this stream or the stream that broke from before, but will Tesla sleep become greater in a recessionary environment? And we did have a, I'll just summarize it real quick. The, the consensus from this panel seems like that's, that's a yes due to multiple factors, but primarily think about where Tesla is from a, um, from an industry perspective, they are in the next generation of technology. They have a giant uh, cash reserve, especially in relation to the debt that they have. Uh, you think about the talent that they have on the team and things like that. And so uh, unless anybody else wants to add any, any other things that we didn't discuss, it, it does seem like that's the case, especially like Ford and GMs, all those traditional automakers. If there's going to be a, a substantial recession where sales are going to be impacted, those folks are more likely to fail, which is going to open up. Uh, you would think uh, a demand opportunity for a company like Tesla, but any any other thoughts there? I think I got it. Okay. Yeah, I think Perfect. it was Hans at the beginning of the stream. He he pointed out that it's the agility of Tesla as well, and they've proven right. that they can navigate the difficult uh, environment better than anybody else. And the legacy players, they are they have all this uh, like financial uh, infrastructure around selling cars, like the loans that that are possibly likely to collapse which is a bit a bit bur big burden for them that Tesla doesn't have. Yeah. Do you think there's any chance uh, to make nice nice with the government that at some point in time Tesla bails out a failing legacy? I don't I don't think so personally, but it's a good it's an interesting idea. It's possible that they would ask Elon and he would decline or Maybe he'd entertain it if they asked him. I don't, but I, I don't, I don't think so. Maybe he'd offer to be like a consultant for them or send some of his engineers to help improve their manufacturing process or something. But I don't know if they'd like take take over, acquire any of those brands on the government's uh, request. But it's a good, it could happen. Yeah, it's a good question. That's a yeah. that's a wild headline. Government asks Elon Musk to rescue Ford and GM. Boy, could you imagine that being in the print? What's the upside wow. for Tesla? Um, well, so I'll take the one like counterpoint to Emmett or the uh, the opposing view that you know if somebody, I'll say Ford is the most likely candidate in this scenario, actually makes progress on EVs and they're far and away in second place to Tesla as far as their ability to supply the demand and then something structurally were to happen. Um, you can definitely make an argument based on the mission of accelerating the world's advent to sustainable energy and especially sustainable transport. And Elon has said multiple times that their goal is you know, the, to shift the entire market and all the manufacturers to, electric, or to electric. Um, 
that you know they don't intend to be a monopoly car producer that there could be definitely some support now i don't know what the extent of that support would be but there might be a position where elon could step in and do something to help somebody like a ford uh you know i just don't foresee gm ever ever getting far enough down the path to actually transitioning for them to be a, a candidate um but you know ford i think is on their way it's an interesting point so kind of like for the for the sake of the mission elon's like yeah we need we need this to be here because otherwise the mission slows down so we need mm -hmm. to make sure that there's more players okay yeah it's logical um question what do you think will be the main topics uh at ai day two that's next week uh on the date so september 30th bot dojo or something completely new um emmett what's your take yeah i think i mean it's i think we have to keep in perspective that the primary objective in elon's mind of this is to be an attraction for recruiting continuing to recruit top talent in this space you know, all of us, we're not the target, you know, investors are not the target audience. I mean, we'll love what we see, of course, but I think um, the target audience is really getting those future engineers coming from state-of-the-art schools or current engineers working in other companies that are looking for something a little more spicy to do or whatever. I think trying to get their attention and presenting a vision that is, you know, is important, you know, because you want, you need to have a goal or, a, you know, an objective vision for them to kind of see and realize what Tesla can accomplish to want to work there, I think. And so I think he's going to help project a vision of what they're going to be doing with the bot and demo the, the, the bot to some degree. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if you have an autonomous robo taxi pull up and the autonomous bot get out and walk up to the door with the pizza box or something, you know, and then walk back to the car and drive away, you know, like that'd be kind of cool. Um, but I think the bot will do some stuff. It'll be exciting to see. And maybe they'll talk about more design of the chip, you know, uh, you know, I don't, yeah, they'll probably get into some real technicalities that'll be above my head for sure. Uh, um, but I'm very curious to see what's kind of demonstrated. Uh, I think it'll be exciting. I'm not sure it's going to move the needle in terms of, um, you know, institutional investors at the moment, but, uh, I don't think it will, but I don't think anyone's expecting it to right now, given the previous, you know, showcase days they do. So yeah, I'm, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. Um, what do you guys think? I think RoboTaxi has become more likely since they started. Uh, I saw Dirty Tesla post his invitation on Twitter for AI Day 2, I believe. So that tells me that um, they'll probably want to show these folks something related to self-driving. And what's the next generation of self-driving RoboTaxi? So I think I think RoboTaxi is going to make an appearance. I really do think so. In, in addition to the bot and everything else, but I think that's going to be the one surprise, like the actual platform that they'll show RoboTaxi do this. Uh, and again, I, I could be pie in the sky craziness, but I really do think it's it's time. Last time, last time Tesla showed a a product that you could reserve was Cybertruck in November 2019. We're three years from that date. Uh, I think I think it's time for something to come along that. Uh, consumers can can reserve for the for whenever it's it's due what do you guys think anybody else have any thoughts well, well farza just on your comment real yeah. quick is he did say at the uh tesla um at that at the factory grand opening party he said something like i don't want to spill all the beans now or whatever yeah. and i feel like 
we haven't heard what the beans are yet. So yeah, maybe the robo taxi, the beans he's going to spill here. Who knows? Maybe. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I have my fingers crossed. I really do think it's, it could be a significant chance. We'll see. I could, I'm going to be wrong again, I'm sure, but we'll see. <laughs> so the question that I have related to that is we'll just propose a hypothetical situation where they do say, Hey, okay, this is the robo taxi infrastructure that we're going to put in place. Oh, and by the way, we're going to operate a fleet, you know, whatever size that is that they're going to do some fleet operations or, or we get some sort of clarity either on that, or maybe what their revenue capture would be on a robo taxi business. What do you think the market reaction, like if at the end of the meeting, there is a hundred percent clarity on Tesla's intention to capture revenue from robo taxi services, how does wall street respond and how long does it take? I think, uh, maybe if he presents a very clear, concise plan there and they show the demo of it and a date of when they're going to be producing them by and, you know, and there's some numbers there of like, you know, I think it's possible uh, it gets interpreted very favorably and Tesla's up 10% the next day, you know, um, if the macro market's flat and, you know, they're not ruining the party, you know, so um I think it's possible uh, just because there's a lot, there's not much anticipation going into it. Like some of the previous days, you know, like I feel like this, there's not many day traders, swing traders buying into this event, planning to sell afterwards. I think um, so if there is a time for the stock to pop a little bit after one of these events, it could be this, this one, if the conditions are right, but it would have to, you know, it's a big, if, you know, I'm not betting on that, but uh, it's certainly possible. Yeah. Kuba it's funny, like I noticed, sorry. sorry, one more thing is like please, the, mo- the most like, sk- I, I, it's like I've gotten better at it too. And uh, the most like macro economists or macro investor people, especially that I respect are the people that present, if this happens, then that'll happen. But I'm not sure it'll happen. You know, and I, I seem to find myself doing that a lot. Like I'm uncertain, 50% it goes this, 50. I'm not really saying anything, but I'm, <laughs> but I'm trying to answer your question. I don't really have a strong conviction, I guess is what I'd say. <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping for some, uh, one more thing moment. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they did unveil something in the autonomy day. Was it Model Y? Uh, so I'm, I'm looking for a precedent that even though this is not a, you know, an investor uh, event, maybe something will happen. I, I had an idea that it will be cool, but I don't think that will happen, that maybe a reservations for the bot for, for retail people, but that would be crazy, I think. Uh, and so, so yes, I'm not sure what else they can unveil. To be honest, and maybe maybe we'll all be surprised. We'll see. Richard, how about you? Yeah, what I'd like to see is a dozen prototype robo taxis drive up in formation. Twelve bots get out carrying a fully guided FSD bowling ball. Whoa! Okay. <laughs> Very, uh, very specific vision. <laughs> Do you guys think that they might have mo- multiple types of bots potentially right at the outset like this? I mean, probably not. I haven't heard anyone throw that idea out there. Probably not. But I, it's interesting that I, I haven't, you know, sometimes if there's a surprise, maybe they have like two types of bots or 
three types of buys, but I, I doubt they do that at the outset though, but I don't know. I think it'll be one. I think it'll be one type. Uh, just a simplification of the of the manufacturing process. I don't think they would want to create. You know, like like the cars themselves have already become so like simple, where they they just make one and they change the color, and then you decide what feature you want to turn on or off, right? Um, so I think I think they continue in that, but I think I also have my sort of thought the thought about a robo taxi that'll be the same thing and I have this idea that it's going to be like you know fleet operated and they'll sell the shell and then maybe maybe for the first couple of years they'll operate their own fleet but then they'll outsource the fleet operation to everybody else and then they can figure out how to do the interior kind of like an airline model right so yeah. um that's sort of where my head goes but there's also yeah. that interesting tweet he said I don't know I'm, maybe I'm reading too far into it but there was the tweet he had about like the next FSD version after that will be after AI day so mm-hmm. why would he say that as the checkpoint? It's like a checkpoint. Like we're not going to tell you what's in the next version. So there's something with AI day that has something to do with the next version. So I don't know what that means, but it's, that's what I connected. I'm not, I'm trying to connect that dot, but I don't know exactly what that means. I'm I think with he you. Also, at least I saw that he also said it could take more than a month. I saw that reference too, which could be after AI day, but it might be December, you know, theoretically. Yeah. But but the fact that he used that date as the sort of checkpoint, like Emma said, is interesting. Like he's tying these things together somehow, you know. But we again, we could be reading too much into it because we spent too much. Well, time I don't think we are <laughs> specifically because. So think about how big of a step change, and even Tesla admitted it was a big step change going to ten point sixty nine by skipping to the sixty nine. So if that change wasn't worthy of being called 11 what is 11 like and especially now that we've seen the improved versions you know point two especially um has made market improvements um and they've been rolling those out very rapidly so yeah i think that you know, there very well could be something very significant related to what is in 11 that will be talked about at AI Day 2 at this point. Is the version 69 in a single stack already for highways and city streets? No, no, it's not. So that's Maybe definitely that's, part of 11. That's what 11 is, right? But I think there's more to what it took to do all of that, that um, like the complexities of being able to operate actually smart uh, summon, not just smart summon, but actually smart summon. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, no, I, I actually interesting because Elon said that uh, the AI team is working on two hard deadline tasks: the bot and mm-hmm, the smart right. summon. So that was quite yeah. surprising. Why there is a hard deadline for smart summon all of a sudden at the end of the month? For AI day. Something's happening. Something's happening in this state. Although, you know, I can't wait to be wrong, but I hope I'm not because I, I really do think something's going to happen. There's just too many things lining also, up. Well, it was that and the bot that there was a specific bot pro, you know, yeah. whatever the uh, whatever the prototype is, he said that they were diverting, diverting yeah. resources from the autopilot team directly at the bot right. for AI day. Exactly, exactly. I see Matt Smith um, in the comments. How you doing, Matt? Good point, Hans. What's up, Matt? <laughs> oh, I love Maybe him. they make single stack. Yeah. What's up with the oh the profile picture of Matt Smith? Oh, my goodness. That looks like a teenage <laughs> Matt Smith. Wow. Damn, Matt. 
I didn't even I didn't even have to make fun of you. Emmett <laughs> did it for me. It's perfect. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, anyway, I want to be uh, respectful of everybody's time. Matt, thank you for coming in late, bro. Thank you for coming in literally at the end. Thanks for the support. Uh, thank you, Emmett. Thank you, Hans. Thanks. Thank you, Richard. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, really appreciate you guys. But uh, Emmett, obviously, you're welcome back anytime. I thought that sure. today's discussion was fascinating because we we really delved into the psychology of what it means to be a Tesla investor and not just like the technicals. And I thought that was a fascinating discussion. And I really want to uh, really thank you and everybody on the panel for the candid nature and how we talked about that. Cause I do think, I think, I think that's a giant part of uh, the investing journey for all of us, but um, perhaps, uh, perhaps we could do a better job talking about it more openly because I do think it's very, very helpful. And I think the point you made, I meant about how, Tesla has a really cool community where we are able to do that, I think is one of its greatest strengths. So uh, thank you for being so candid and thank you for coming back, man. Really oh, appreciate, appreciate it. all the opportunity to chat with you guys. Everyone's really, uh, you know, professional and smart and educated in lots of different ways about Tesla and other things. So I appreciate the time to chat with you guys about all things Tesla. Yeah, man. Thank you for all your time, guys. Thank sure. you. Yeah. Thank so you guys very much. All right, everybody. Have a great weekend. Go watch Penn State football. Undefeated, baby. National We're not playing champions. Auburn this week, though. Doesn't matter. We're going to win anyway. <laughs> oh. It's like Central Michigan or some shit. Anyway. All right, All right everybody. All right. Take it easy. Yeah. And podcast. Bye-bye.